Hey everybody, welcome back to Meet the Makers. Today I am joined here with another 3D printer. He does amazing masks. He has custom solutions for rewinding his own filament onto the AMS to make those spools fit. And he's also going to be our very first introduction to tabletop gaming. I have Ryan from 3D Fantasy Creations. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Got a beer. I have, I know a thing or two about 3D printing, but I know absolutely nothing about tabletop gaming. When I was looking into stuff before we hopped on today, it seems like those two things go really well hand in hand. Did you get into one of those before the other, and did one of them inspire you to get into the other hobby? I got into tabletop gaming first with the Warhammer 40K, and then I started making foam terrain and using a whole bunch of stuff, and I was like, hey, why not try and 3D print one? So that's when I bought my first 3D printer, and then it blew up from there. Gotcha. Now, would you say it's common for people who are into tabletop gaming, or is it common for people to have 3D printers? Or Yeah, anymore it is. A lot of them, a lot of the tabletop games use terrain and different, even like little utility things that track your wounds and score and all that stuff it's all over gotcha yeah it seems that when i first got into 3d printing and i would see people's videos online like the dice towers are super popular and again i've never gotten into it myself but the designs that people have they're just so beautiful and it honestly it made me interested in it and it was another never something i had considered before for somebody who maybe they're already into gaming and they haven't explored 3D printing yet, is there a place that you, a type of printer that you recommend for somebody? Do you typically go the FDM route or is resin better? Depends. If you're doing miniatures for tabletop games, obviously your resin would be better. But if you're doing large terrain, it's cheaper, faster. Yeah. But like I said, if you do the little miniatures, they're this big and you want to get all the details in them if you're going to paint them. Yeah, definitely makes sense. And in case like maybe somebody doesn't have a super, they're not familiar with the difference between FDM and resin, can you kind of just talk people through what the difference between those types of printers are really oh, yeah. quick? Resin uses a liquid. It's cured by UV. It's known for awesome detail. You can get down to 0. 0.005 layer heights, which you get the best detail out of. Your FDM... I would say that's bigger stuff. It lays down the plastic one layer at a time. It usually requires some sanding and painting and more sanding and more sanding. And it's for your bigger stuff. Yeah, for sure. I only do FDM myself and I've wanted to get into resin. It scares me a little bit with the fumes and I'm just a messy person. So I don't think resin is maybe the best for me, but I think you mostly do FDM. Do you have a resin printer? Yeah, I mostly do FDM. I have 15 of those. Oh but I, I do have two resin printers, but I don't use them very often. The fumes really weren't bad until I went to clean it one day. And I did it at like three in the morning and woke everyone up in the house <laughs> saying, what does that smell? It got really bad. Wow. Yeah, I, I would recommend some ventilation for resin. It is really cool, but it's a lot of work. You got to clean them and then cure them and FDMs pull it off and you're done. Right? Yeah. But it has its purpose. Yeah, I think eventually I might get one out in my garage maybe or have to figure out some kind of setup. But yeah, they're super cool. And like you were saying, the detail is really unmatched on those, at least right now. Although I do see that recently you got the Bamboo Labs and it's really pushing the limits in terms of printers for speed. I'm curious, like over the next couple of years, it'll be cool to see if any developments come in terms of detail on FDM because I would love to have something that was in the FDM space that maybe allowed for that detail that you get with resin. I think that would be really 
really cool to see come out. Yeah, I haven't tried to do anything small on it yet. Most of my stuff's pretty big anymore. I imagine it could. I used the point six on it to get things done even faster. But you'd have to slow it down. You wouldn't get the speeds it's used to out of it. Yeah. But I think you could print it. Yeah, it's, people seem to get really beautiful results off of it. It's interesting hearing you say you went over to that point six nozzle. For people who maybe aren't, again, aren't familiar, pretty standard is like a point four nozzle. And I've heard a lot of people move up to the point six, and it seems like you can still get like almost just as much detail. Have you found that to be the case, switching over to that nozzle size? Yeah, you can use the same layer height with a point six as a point four. So if you still want to use a 0.2 layer height, you're still going to get the same detail as you are with the 0.4. But you get the enhanced speeds because you have more walls with a 0.4. Mm -hmm. If you want three walls, you can get away with just two on a 0.6. So that's how it speeds it up. Okay, I actually didn't know the mechanics behind that. I mean, in my mind, I had just thought maybe it was laying down more filament in I mean, terms of layer. You, you can do a 0.3 layer height with a 0.6, but you can still go down to 0.1 with them. So you can still get the detail out of it. That's I have some point six nozzles laying around, and man, I have just been slacking on that one forever. But I really need to swap it out and experiment with it because I hear people seem to have really good results, and really just it seems to be a great way to boost your speed without maybe having to go for something like a bamboo lab. So cool to hear. Yep. Now, one of the things I see that you have made some content on recently, and you have done all different realms of this, but specifically you have the AMS, and for people who aren't familiar, the AMS it allows you to do multicolor printing, but one of the drawbacks to that is there's very specific spool sizes that you can put in there. So I see that you have this contraption to help you re-spool things. How how did you get into doing that? And has that been a good solution to refitting those spools for you? It's been all right. My wife does did the tumblers for a long time oh, and has that yeah. little contraption that spins the cups. And I was like, well, if I just steal that motor, I can start winding something onto the empty spool. It It's slow, but it works. Honestly, I think I don't use the AMS too much anymore, or I'll just leave the lid open. So most yeah. spools will fit. I only came across two brands that would not fit in there. That was Overture and something else I don't remember. God, I saw, I think it was the Amazon Basics Rolls. I know yeah, 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 because yeah. I have one of those myself and I use filament hangers to store all my filament. And man, those are some fucking chonky rolls. Like they yeah, are, they're big boys. So yeah, I, that was the one that came to mind for me. But yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. I know it's been a complaint that I've gotten from a lot of, not a lot of people in the community, but I hear people constantly saying either it's chewing up their cardboard rolls or they have stuff that doesn't fit. So it's, yeah, it was interesting to see that solution. Yeah. That's cool. That was a problem with the overtures being the cardboard. I was hoping a lot of companies would start moving to the spoolless ones, just sending you the roll and you can just slap it onto your own roll that fit. But I, the few companies that do it, I don't, it's not any cheaper. Yeah. And like I said, it's only the two brands that I don't like putting in there. So it hasn't been a thing yet. Yeah, I I saw Mitch over from Polar Filament. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but I know he he was talking about it as the bamboo was getting more popular and people were using it and having complaints. They use cardboard rolls as well right now, but he was explaining logistically for these companies before this came out, never had to worry about using cardboard rolls. So he had this massive stockpile of all these spools that he had to get to before he could work with a different manufacturer and things. And I think that they are working with something now that's, I almost want to say it's a wooden spool that he has, which is cool, but... 
it, it definitely seems like it, it was a big disruptor in the market and something that these companies never had to think about before. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it's more so the filament brands that shift to make that work or if it's Bamboo maybe making modifications to like future AMSs to allow for more options. I don't know which way that one is going to go on. I've seen a third party design where someone actually designed the inside of the AMS oh. to make it bigger. I haven't tried it because I really don't use Amazon Basics. So yeah. I only use one or two brands mostly. So it hasn't been an issue for me, but I think a lot of companies will transition over to making spoolless or switching their size because bamboos right now, that's what everyone wants stuff. For sure. One of the things that was interesting that you said now was you have the AMS, but maybe you said you don't use it a ton anymore. This is kind of one of the things I've wondered for myself because I look at it and it seems like it would be exciting to have and be able to do multicolor. But I myself like painting my prints and I know that you paint your prints a lot. Is that kind of, do you find yourself maybe just not using it as much because you are somebody who kind of like post-processes and paints your prints or was there um, a different reason? I think it's worth it to have filament ready in there. Like, it's awesome having four mm. different colors ready yeah. if I want to print something. But as for the multicolor prints, I mean, it wastes a lot of filament. Yeah. Like, a lot of filament. You can do stuff like put other items on the bed and use that to for your fill and your all your extra, but... I find myself not using it for multicolor very often. Yeah, I was I was just talking to somebody about that the other day, and I'm not super familiar with how it works, but I know there's the option to do the purge towers. I heard you just said something though that I've never heard somebody say before. Can you actually put? Let's say that you know that you're going to paint it anyway. Can you put another print on the build plate and have that act as a purge tower for? Yes, uh, your color you can put a model on there with it, and there's oh. an option in there. It it's in the filament options, not the actual okay. print options. And you can actually use that object for the purge. Okay. So it'll purge everything into that object. That's actually, that's super cool. I don't know why. I've never seen somebody do that before. I always see the purge towers, but that seems like it might be a solution for somebody if you don't want to be wasting a ton of filament to, to consolidate stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of people have been using like the little fidget toys and the infinity cubes and doing that for it. It's an interesting thing to see. And I know you do some painting of your prints as well. And you have, it seems like you've come a really long way. I saw one video where you posted a model that you had maybe done about two years ago and then where you are now. And it's a huge improvement of where you've come. Uh, For somebody who's just starting to get into painting models, do you have maybe some advice that would fast forward them into kind of that learning curve? Get really good primer and use really thin coats. Don't slap the paint. If you go over it once and it looks watery and not half covered, that's what you want. You don't want it to be covered until the second or third layer. Then it's usually a smoother print after that. And washes. Definitely use washes. Thin layers of paint. That was something that it was a little bit of a disconnect for me because I'd be laying down my paint. And I something that I think was, I at least in my head, I thought when I was newer was if I just laid down a super thick layer of paint on it, I would maybe fill in some of those layer lines. But instead, it just made my prints look flat and lobby and like it, it just wasn't a good solution. You mentioned primers. Is there a primer that you really like on the market right now? I like the Citadel that's made for models, and it's a little more expensive, but it's nice. But if you're just going to your Home Depot and stuff, Rust-Oleum's usually the go-to for miniatures. If you're talking bigger stuff like helmets, it's definitely the Rust-Oleum filler primer. Yeah. That's what yeah. you're going to want. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. That I, when I first got into it, I just thought I was like, all primers are probably the same. And then I saw a couple of people talking about that one and it definitely makes a big difference. I think it just stands better. I found some of the other brands. I know I was trying to sand it down and it was almost like pilling up. I don't know if I didn't let it dry enough, but uh, that one definitely, I am a big fan of it and it seems to work pretty well. I actually had to go to my AutoZone and request them to order more because I kept buying all of it off their shelves. I was like, hey, you guys need more of this. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if it's the 3D printers (laughs) or if it's some other market, but yeah, it was actually, it was uh, right around Christmas time. Maybe it was a hot gift, but I, that was when I first saw it and I was trying to buy it. And for like weeks, it was, you couldn't get it on Amazon or like it was a month out for delivery. So yeah, it seems, it definitely seems to be a hot item, but worth the hype, I would say. Yeah. Now for post-processing, another interesting thing I saw, and you talked about how your wife does, she has the rotary spinner for the mugs as well. And I've seen that you've done resin pours over your prints. Can you talk a little bit about that and like how that process is and how you liked the finish on that? I just saw that try it one day because all all those cups, I mean, they would never been good for liquids because regardless how good your print is, it's porous and I don't like putting liquids in there because it's going to leak through. So I was like, hey, let's try your spinner and put some epoxy over it. And the finish is real nice. I don't think it would work on much other than cups. They have that stuff that's made for 3D printing stuff that's like an epoxy, but it's supposed to smooth it out. I've never used it. But yeah, for cups, I think it turns out really nice for them. That was another thing that I learned early in my journey. I had started making plant pots. That was one of the first things I got into when I was 3D printing and... I remember I had one where I had filled it up the bottom of it with water and it all had leaked out of the bottom and it took me a while to realize, oh, you can't just, you can't just 3D print something and not have it leak out of the layer lines. So it's, it's cool to see that. And I know for a lot of people, they're concerned about obviously like drinking out if you have some kind of like sugary something or something that's going to get into the lines and leave bacteria and stuff in there. So yeah, that was definitely a cool solution that I saw you use and I don't see many people using that. So I think that was pretty unique. It's definitely something if you have access to it. All that stuff doesn't cost too much and get it all at the craft store. Yeah, I think it's worth it. Yeah, that's it's one of the things I like about the hobby is obviously the sky's the limit. You can definitely spend a fair amount of money in this hobby, but you also you don't have to. There's there's definitely a lot of really affordable options and you can get pretty deep into it before you have to shell out any significant amount of money, which is pretty cool. Yeah, my my first printer I messed up because I didn't know what I was doing. I bought what was it a Flash Forge Creator Pro, oh, okay. which is a really good printer. Yeah, but it was like nine hundred dollars, and the yeah. build plate was probably like this big on it. And I was like, it'll get me started. And once I started a little more, man, I should got something else. Yeah, especially now. How long? If you don't mind me asking, how long ago did you get into three D printing? Like, when did you get that printer? Oh. It's been about close to seven, eight years. Okay. Yeah. I've now I've only been doing this for about six months now, but I think back seven years ago, nine hundred dollars realistically, that probably was like a pretty affordable printer back then or no? Yeah, pretty much. There wasn't a lot of options. You had your Altimakers always been there and those are fairly expensive. But they didn't have any Ender threes yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I think do you have some Enders yourself? I think you do. Yeah, I have yeah. three or four of those, I believe. Okay. I don't gotcha. use I don't use them too much anymore, but I still have them. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, I, the unders get some hate, but honestly, I really do feel like for a beginner, for a first time printer, that was what I started on. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little biased, but I think they're a great printer for a beginner. No, if you're they're, willing they're, to tinker they're great. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. I love them. Yeah. They're easy. They're cheap. And if you spend time with them and learn everything that they print really good. Yeah, you can get some really solid prints off of it. So I know there, it's, it's not everybody's favorite. It's not the sexiest thing on the market right now, but I like them. I think they're a good option for beginners. One of the things that I've seen you talk about in terms of 3D printing that I don't, I haven't seen a lot of other people talk about this either, but I saw you had a video where you were printing in flexible PLA. I'm not sure if you print too much in TPU, but can you talk through like your experience with the flexible PLA if you like it? And maybe if you've done TPU, maybe what the differences are? Yeah, I've done both. They're fairly similar. Even TPU, you get into different brands. Some are way more flexible than others. And the flexible PLA I just discovered not too long ago. I didn't even know it existed. I saw someone else's TikTok and was like, hey, look at that. And I looked it up. And compare them, I'd say they're really close to the same. I think the PLA prints a little bit easier. It's a little more forgiving in the settings. And the TPU is always really shiny when I burn it. And the PLA, it's more matte, which is what I like. I haven't tried painting any of them yet because that's a whole process on its own, painting flexible stuff. So I've just been doing black and painting things that are printing things that are black so it works out. Yeah, actually, now that you say that, I haven't thought too much about that, but print it, like painting a flexible filament, are there maybe, I don't know, if are there specific paints that like are, have we give to them that don't crack if you use it? Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a, like a primer. It's like a flexible primer you can put on. If you just try putting acrylics on it, it'll probably crack if you bend it. But I'm, there, there's stuff out there that's made for flexible material. Interesting. Yeah. It's, I don't print that much in TPU. I've never tried the flexible PLA, but it is fun. And for the flexible PLA, do you find, is it kind of like the same thing? I know you can print with a Bowden too, but do you find that it's easier on the drop drive like TPU? I haven't done it in the Bowden. I've done TPU on an Ender 3 before. And you have to go slow or else it'll wrap around the gear Yeah. fairly quickly, five minutes in. Yeah. I mean, there's modifications you can do to shorten that distance so it don't get a chance to wrap around it but i'd say direct drive is probably a lot easier yeah yeah that's that's been my experience as well i think you can get away with it but if you have the option right. there's a lot of especially if you're on an under type model there's a lot of inexpensive upgrades that you can do for a direct drive that i think if you're really like dying to print in that filament it might might be worth considering but yeah right. yeah now switching back to tabletop gaming. So I'm curious in, I, it sounds like you've been doing it for a while. Have you seen, is there any, I guess, like custom made things that you've seen that have really stood out to you in your time doing it? Mostly that stuff. I see a lot of utility stuff like wound trackers and initiative counters for Dungeons and Dragons. People get creative, like with dice jails. If someone don't like how their dice roll and they have fun little things to put it in and you've never really seen them before but terrain's normal miniatures are normal it's all the extra stuff that you don't usually see on a game table because i've seen 3d printed dm screens that are like three foot tall and three foot wide and you're like oh okay that's different (laughs) that sounds pretty cool now for people who are into it 
is there like any sort of is there any weird stigma around like 3d printed stuff are there people who are, i guess are just like purists and they like only want store-bought things or is it pretty well accepted at this um, point it depends on the game i would say because your dungeons and dragons you can print any of your miniatures your own character but like for stuff like warhammer you won't be allowed into a tournament with 3d printed models because they want you to use their models for the tournament. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. It's half and half, I would say, because I said I used to go to conventions, tournament conventions like DC, all that stuff, and I would I actually printed giant props of oh. the models for Warhammer, like swords and all that stuff. And the Games Workshop, who make Warhammer 40k, they would look at my stuff like, "Oh, that's cool," but then they would go to the next table that had. Guy had miniatures. Uh, you got to put that away. You can't sell that. Interesting. So, models, most part are off the table if you're going to do something out of your house, probably. Gotcha. Well, that, I guess that makes sense. <clears throat> now, would you say, again, I'm not like super familiar with it all, but did it kind of, did 3D printing getting introduced to this industry, did it change gameplay at all? Or did you see anything like that kind of shift? Made it a lot more immersive. Like for Dungeons and Dragons, usually it's like, theater of the mind pen and paper now people have these giant boards with dungeons built and models and all that cool lighting it up and a whole bunch of cool stuff that you really didn't see too often until the last maybe 10 years and i don't know if tiktok has just like maybe made that explode or maybe it was existing before but i've seen some crazy things i saw some guy the other day like you said it was lit up and he had like (laughs) fog rolling into it It was just it was so cool and it's cool to see the limits that people push with their creations on it yep a lot of that a lot of that came from 3d printing now for somebody who maybe is maybe is like me they have never done tabletop gaming before. Is there a place that you would recommend somebody starts or how does somebody get into that realm? Have friends that are willing to play with you. <laughs> Besides that, local gaming shops are always a good place to start. Like if you go buy, you can buy stuff at retail stores. But if you go to a local gaming place, they usually have tables and people there. Hey, check this out. You can play this game. We have this game laid out. You can play it. You don't even have to buy it. And that's just to get people into it. And I would say local gaming spots, it's it's a real good place to start. Now, when you say these local gaming spots, is it like, are they stores that kind of supply for gaming or is it an actual place? I'm so far out of this, but is it an actual place where you go (laughs) and like you guys all go and play together? Yeah. I mean, we have a few places around here that's, it's, it's called Dragon's Roost. It's a half a coffee shop and half a gaming store. So you can get coffee and they have tables throughout the room and they have places for people to paint their models bring them in and they sell miniatures dice rule books all that stuff it's it's a good place it's a good vibe to be at yeah yeah that sounds super cool actually i really the i is i don't know if this is considered a tabletop game is magic the gathering considered a tabletop game or is that separate is that a different thing it's a card game that's played on a tabletop i'll say it's a (laughs) tabletop game Okay, yeah, that was that was like my only kid been friends with somebody who had played that at one point. And it, my understanding of that is it's like a very it's a very mentally heavy game as well. I think I think yeah. there's like a lot that goes into it. Do you find does it take maybe like multiple years to be able to play at a I guess if you want to call it a competitive level for some of these games? I don't play Magic too much, or I don't actually I don't play many of the card games too much, but. I think a lot of it is investing into getting the cards you want and learning about them. 
a lot of the cards you can't find or magic's i think it's the highest grossing game there is of all time right now and you can buy cards for three four hundred dollars and yeah it's not something (laughs) i'm into yeah but something like dungeons and dragons it's easy you need the rule book it's 40 bucks on amazon maybe you get everything from there that's all you really need after that you can use a pen and paper and it's easy to get into warhammer it's cool but they change the rules like every two years (laughs) so you have to relearn the game so if you do get into warhammer you're not going to be far behind because everyone else is still learning Hey, I guess maybe that's the one for me then. And I think that seems to be the one that I see the most, the majority of people who do minis, I always hear them talking about Warhammer and uh, yeah, all that stuff. So interesting. Warhammer is definitely the biggest one. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Maybe that will be my, maybe that'll be my next hobby. We'll see. Ryan, it was super interesting talking to you about all this stuff today. I appreciate you coming on. Can you, for people who maybe want to follow along with what you're working on with your printers and all your other projects, where to find you on the internet? I have 3D Fantasy Creations on TikTok. It's the same name on Facebook. I have a page. Actually, I think that's my name everywhere. I was RMC Gaming when I was doing massive props for Warhammer that I've got away from. But now everything's 3D Fantasy Creations. You should find me on pretty much anything. I plan on putting all my TikToks on YouTube because I don't know if, how long that's going to be around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it. You'll see awesome. my dragon logo. Yeah, that that's how I, that's how you always stand out. You have a really nice logo, actually. So if people don't follow you, it's like a red dragon. Keep your eye out for that. And yeah, he'll find them. Awesome. Ryan, thank you again for coming on. And with that said, that is our episode of Meet the Makers.